Stoveleg Media, igniting conversation. Welcome to the 60th episode of the Pulling Tart Podcast. We've got a great interview for you this week with Brandon Dunham, Director of Operations for the Charleston River Dogs. Make sure you go back through and listen to the catalog, folks. We've had so many different kinds of people that work in minor league baseball as guests on this podcast, including groundskeepers, marketing directors, sales leaders, assistant GMs, broadcasters, general managers, team presidents, and everything in between over these last 60 episodes. Feel free to reach out to me on Twitter to become a guest at It's R.A. Kuhn, that's I-T-S-R-A-C-O-O-N. Follow me on there so that you don't miss out on any news about the Pulling Tart podcast. Also, don't forget to subscribe on whatever platform you listen to podcasts on. If you enjoy the show, please take the time to leave a rating or comment on Apple Podcasts. That allows people to find the Pulling Tart podcast easier, and the podcast grows, and that makes everybody happy. Now that we've done some house cleaning, let's get right into it and chat with Brandon Dunham, Director of Operations for the Charleston River Dogs, low-A affiliate of the Tampa Bay Rays. Be right back with Brandon Dunham after this break. Brandon, welcome on to the Pulling Tart Podcast. I appreciate you taking the time to chat with me on your Easter Sunday. Shout out to Timmy Hines for setting this up. Uh, Timmy was the first guest on this podcast. Can you believe that? First guest ever, and I know him. That's awesome. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, so what are you anticipating for this first year with the River Dogs, Brandon? You know, it, it's going to be an interesting year. Uh, obviously, I'm I'm brand new to, to Charleston and the River Dogs. So, um, you know, prior to, to taking on this position this year, I, you know, I hadn't had any background in the stadium, hadn't seen a game or anything like that. And so in taking on, on this position, you know, it was already going to be a challenge, you know, learning a, a director role within a new stadium. But sure. with with all of that, uh, that COVID and the new uh, transition into – you know, being operated by Major League Baseball, uh, you know that's mm-hmm. that's all going to add to the the confusion and 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 some of the uh, anticipated uh, uh, expectations for the season. So, yeah. Uh, so, what do you think of the the town or city of Charleston so far? Uh, you know, it, since I started, I, I started with the the River Dogs on February first, and um, you know, shortly thereafter we host uh, Citadel baseball games uh, mm-hmm. at our stadium. So I haven't had many days off since, uh, since I started, you know, 
when when they play, I'm I'm in the stadium making sure you know things are going okay. So I haven't gotten to explore Charleston too much, but uh, seems like a nice place. I'm about you know 20 minutes from the beach, and um, seems like a you know pretty good restaurant scene, pretty good craft beer scene, which which I'm into. So yeah, uh, seems like a, a a place that I want to you know make my landing spot for a while. So perfect, perfect. That's always that's always the thing. It's just like you know like people that work in minor league baseball, they always move around so much and, and like, you just got to find that right spot, you know? Right. Yeah. You know, Charleston is my sixth city in five years. So right. I, I've bounced around a, a little bit more than average, you know, you know, global pandemic kind of had a, a play in that, but yeah, I, I'm hoping that, that Charleston can be the, the place I call home for a little yeah. bit. Uh, let's, let's jump into that for a second. So you actually, so your off season was a little bit different. Of course, it was longer than than we all anticipated. Um, but you spent a short time with the Carolina Mudcats in that off season, and then, of course, you know, due to the pandemic, you know, I I'll let you fill the listeners in. But like, what was that experience like? Um, you know, you got hired by them, and then. Shortly thereafter, got furloughed, right, and then and then found your way to Charleston. Yeah, I mean, it's you know even even before global pandemic took over, it, it was kind of a, a whirlwind time. Mm-hmm. Um, at the time, I was hired by the Mudcats. I, I was working in in Nashville, working for the Predators. Uh, around February, um, the the Mudcats had, had made a posting for an uh, an ops assistant position, um, which I mean that was a huge deal to me like I wasn't expecting much to pop up you know that time of year that's a little late in the game to be to be hiring full-time staff so right. um, when I saw it you know I, I jumped on it and I uh, was fortunate enough to, to get an interview and um, it was a little different that was the first you know kind of big time zoom interview I, I had done so um, that was relatively new to me you know being long distance from there but um, they offered me the opportunity so you know I, I was excited to get get back into baseball um, like I said, you know, I mean, getting hired in February and normally have an opening day at the beginning of April, it's, you know, pretty quick turnaround there. But um, so I moved to Raleigh. Uh, the Mudcats play in, in Zebulon, North Carolina, right outside of Raleigh. So um, I moved there. I think my first day of work was, was March 11th. Oh, man. And then on, on March, uh, March 17th, we, we sent most of our, our front office staff home for, for COVID concerns. And, um, a lot of the staff was working remote at that point. So, I mean, I got to meet people and then a week later, you know, I don't really get to see them much again. But, right. You know, being in ops, we don't get to do much remote work. So sure. uh, we uh, we strategically plan, you know, me and my boss coming in on, you know, alternating times, alternating days, being kind of kind of separate throughout the stadium. I spent a lot of time uh, doing our preseason uh, pressure watching around the stadium, so that's how I, okay. I maintained my social distancing from everyone. But um, so I was, you know, pressure watching, doing you know as much prep as we could with such a short staff, in anticipation for you know hopefully a, we knew the season at that point was going to be delayed, but we didn't know it was going to be officially canceled. So you know me and me and the ops guys and and you know GM, we're still you know trying to prepare as best we can when we were going to start and right. Uh, but yeah, we, we eventually ended up getting uh, the furloughed at the end of May, I believe, uh, which, you know, they, the Brewers held on to us a lot longer than a lot of teams did. So I, I was very fortunate in that aspect. Right. Um, which, you know, that's 
a lot of people don't know that the, the Mudcats are, are owned by the brewer. So, you know, when I'm sitting down getting furloughed, it's not, you know, with my boss that I talk to every day, I'm sitting down with, you know, the HRF from Milwaukee. So, I mean, wow. your heart's kind of already pounding for the conversation that you know is about to unfold. But then, you know, speaking to someone, you know, so high in the organization, it's, it's kind of a, a blessing. Sure. It was basically telling me I couldn't work anymore, but yeah. Um, yeah, we, uh, we, we got furloughed at the end of May. Um, I, I used at least the first portion of it as a little, uh, vacation time. Uh, I went home, um, because prior to moving to, to Nashville, you know, I, I left the, I left South Bend at the end of baseball season in 2019, uh, and then right into hockey with the Preds, you know, right there in, in October, November. So okay. I, I, I missed out on, on an off season okay. between 19 and 20. Mm-hmm. So, um, once we got furloughed, took a little vacation time, went home. Uh, I, I tried to see the positives in 2020, which I mean, that's the only way we we're going to be able to yeah. maintain our, our mental stability, but, um, got to hang out with my niece and nephews, got to see my niece's birthday, which is, you know, middle baseball season normally. So normally I don't get to go and see her, but right. we got some good family time there. So, okay. So trying to see the bright spots and, and what was a dark year was, was a challenge at first, but, you know, looking back on it, it, it was what enabled me to, to come here to Charleston. So, yeah, that's all you can do, man. That's all you can do. Try to look for the bright spots. Um, so what kind of safety precautions are you and the team implementing for fans at the Joe this year? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, like, like we spoke about earlier, it's people, people have this misconception that we've been preparing for, you know, we've had a plan prepared for 18 months and, mm-hmm. and that's just not the case. Things have been, you know, with the nature of, of the virus itself, you know, things change all the time and, and, you know, we get updates from, from CDC and from major league baseball all the time. So, I mean, it's really, we've sent off tons of different kinds of plans and, you know, we've, we've revised plans and, and, you know, taken into consideration what major league baseball has, has uh, informed us about and what, you know, the, the local, uh, local health officials have, have told us we've, we've worked on what we think will, will be our plan for, for opening day. Still, still about a, what a month from today is when we'll open. So, um, things could definitely change there. It's going to be fluid. And, you know, even when we, the plan that we, you know, roll out on May 4th could change in, in June, you know, that's sure. just the nature of the virus is, I mean, it's going to be an ever changing kind of thing, but, uh, to start out in May, I mean, the, the general plan is to have limited capacity. Um, I think we're going to roll with about 30%, uh, what our stadium capacity is. So that'll be in seating bowl. That'll be in, uh, our club level suite. That'll be in our, our suite level suites and, and all of our picnic areas. So roughly 30%. And then, uh, from there, you know, we'll, we'll have a, a generic kind of pod seating set up where, you know, groups, different groups aren't going to be within, you know, six feet of each other in the seating bowl. Okay. Um, we're not going to double up, uh, different groups, uh, in our group areas, uh, which is fairly common across minor league baseball for, you know, big group areas, you'll set up some stanchions or something, but, um, to kind of, you know, limit the interaction between, you know, different families and different groups, it'll right. be strictly, you know, one group at a time in those areas. Um, Major League Baseball is going to implement a, a mask ordinance. So, uh, I think regardless of, you know, what your local, um, what your local guidelines are, I think Major League Baseball will, will kind of trump that. So we're looking sure. to roll with masks for, 
for our uh, our staff and fans um, coming in the stadium. But um, you know, just little things like that. What you know, we'll we'll try to uh, encourage uh, social distancing where we can. And uh, one of the cool things we're we're implementing this year, our our food and beverage uh, director Josh, he, he's been working with a company. We're going to roll out a new uh, concessions ordering app this year oh, that, that nice. fans can use in the stadium. So. Um, it, it, we'll basically have signage around, you know, we'll have a link that we send out to people, but they'll be able to access um, our concessions menu on their phone. Um, so they can have access the concessions menu, put in their credit card information on the app, um, pay there. So without even leaving their seat, um, they'll be able to order and we'll either have, you know, pickup stations where you can come and grab it real quick or we'll, we'll have um, concession staff members be able to deliver it to your seats. Wow. Um, one, it, it ensures that fans don't miss any of the game. That, yep. that tends to be one of the common, even, you know, beyond COVID protocols, that typically tends to be one of the things that fans complain about if, if lines are backed up, you know, they're right. missing however so much of the game or, or they're missing out on their picnic, you know, things like that. So um, we're hoping that, that fans enjoy it, that aspect of it. But indirectly, it also makes sure that, you know, fans aren't piled up in lines and it's kind of removing, you know, crowded concourses that, that tend to happen on, on the tighter spaces and the bigger games. So um, we're hoping that enough people use the, the app for ordering so that, you know, we, we're not dealing with having to, to social distance lines and, and have chaos on our concourse. Sure, sure. That told, I, I, yeah, I mean, that would have been an, an awesome thing pre-COVID, you know, before. But, hey, that's, that's awesome. I, I love that aspect. Are you guys actually printing tickets this year or or no i i know some teams are and some teams aren't uh we we are not printing tickets okay um from a a ticket into the game standpoint everything will be digital on your phone um that you'll show and then even down to like parking passes um where the stadium itself is going you know all cashless so um we're not going to have any or we're going to try and limit as best we can uh cash exchanges at concessions uh, in the team store, um, when you pay for parking, that kind of thing. So we'll have, you know, iPads and, you know, kind of little square system set up where you can, you can use your credit card at, at those spots. And, you know, that also, you know, since that's already a digital platform, it just makes sense to, you know, also have the tickets on, on a digital platform. So, you know, as much of that, you know, hand to hand interaction that we can, we can cut down on, um, to, you know, make sure that not only you know our fans are safe but also our, our staff is safe as we you know continue to to deal with COVID and all that's going at us right right like so you guys you I mean pre you getting there uh they were a Yankees affiliate and now the now Charleston is a Tampa Bay Rays affiliate do you think the fans like have you seen any reaction from the fans yet about that and like how they're feeling about that change in affiliation? Uh, you know, I, I haven't noticed much of a reaction yet, frankly, because I haven't been around our fans. Right, enough, but, right. Um, it, it, it was definitely, uh, you know, kind of, it didn't really catch us off guard. You know, we knew that Major League Baseball wanted to, to make the, the geographic locations make more sense. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, with, with our location on the East Coast, you know, it was going to come down to, you know, one or two teams that we were going to get. So we, we had kind of expected the, um, raised to, to take over the affiliation but you know it, it, it's interesting you know the Yankees will have fans wherever you go oh, yeah. um, so I'm sure there, there's fans in Charleston that, that are sad to see them but 
I mean, you know, having a team like the Rays come in, there were worse options for us. I mean, sure. the Rays are coming off uh, American League Championship. You know, they're they're right there in the World Series, and so we're we're trying to use that to our advantage in the first season taking over. Um, but you know, we also have Charleston natives that were here. You know, because the Rays were uh, originally you know affiliated in the late nineties here. So, oh, okay. Um, I didn't know that. It's somewhat dim coming back home and right. the people that have, have lived in Charleston, you know, their whole life or, you know, at least for the past couple of decades, they, they, it's familiar faces coming back to town. So. Okay. That's pretty cool. Um, so I got to ask, have you met Bill Murray yet? You'd be surprised how often I've, I've gotten that question. I, my first, uh, my first night in town. So, uh, moved here January 30th and then I've started on, on February 1st, but when I, the night I got here, we had a, a hot stove banquet in our, uh, in our Sager club. Um, and it was basically introducing, uh, you know, representatives from the Rays coming in. So they introduced uh, the manager, um, general manager of the Rays, Um, and then, you know, also the, the coach that would, that would be coming to, to Charleston this year, some of the other staff. So it's basically a way of, you know, us introducing our, our ownership, our fans, our staff to, um, to the, the new guys in town, you know, taking over the affiliations. Right. So, um, so I, I didn't know anybody. I, I came in the, you know, our, our GM said, Hey Brandon, you know, you're in town. We'd love to have you out. Um, so I was basically serving as a greeter for lack of knowledge of mm-hmm. <laughs> any, any operations at that point of the stadium. And, sure. um, I think it was probably, I don't know, 10 or 15 minutes into the event, I'm still greeting at the door, and a figure walks out of the elevator and walks up to me, and I welcome him to the stadium, and he looks at me and says, yeah, man, I've been here before, and taps me on the shoulder and then keeps walking, and so that was my first, uh, that's my first Bill Murray experience. Uh, that's funny. It, uh. it, you, you're, you balance that line of, of being a an admirer, but also having to maintain some sort of professionalism, so... Sure. Um, Obviously, I wasn't going to say, "Hey, Bill, I love you," but um, <laughs> you know, when you're introducing yourself to or introducing the stadium to you know, you know, partial owner of the stadium, it's it's a little weird. But <laughs> that's but pretty yeah, funny. He, he's a good guy. He tries to be you know as active as he can um, with with the River Dogs. He he gave you know his speech um, to the fan base and you know to the to the Rays representatives too. And you know, he he tries to take part when he can and help us help us generate some some fan experiences that you know other teams don't necessarily get to have so yeah yeah you guys have had some pretty awesome game day promotions as far as um what was the one it was on april 20th it was uh marinara night for like 420 like marinara night is that right there's been a there's been a lot of big ones you know obviously I'm, i'm brand new so i haven't been able to be a part of them but seeing seeing you know pictures and videos and, and news coverage of, of things they've done in the past that was you know one of the things that you know drew my interest to charleston I, I, you know charleston has been on my short list of, of destinations for for a long time and um you know the the interaction that they have with with the fan base and really the the support that you know locals here in charleston bring to the stadium is something that i haven't seen you know everywhere i've been there's been some places that don't really have the, the support from from the community, but but here in Charleston, it, it, it's definitely there and it's pre- prevalent, and um, it's something that I'm looking forward to being a part of. We we won't necessarily be able to do 
as much of the the exciting and, and fun things this season that we've been able right. to do in the past. But you know, our our director of promotions is going to do what he can to make this season, although different, still fun for the the fan experience. And then you know, moving on into twenty twenty two, we hope there's you know somewhat of a back to normalcy and you know wow our fans like we've done you know for, right. for years past. Yeah, this season is going to be a challenge like no other. Um, I, even though I miss it, I'm, I'm glad that I got out when I did in hindsight. Clearly I got out of baseball in November of 2019. So just in the nick of time, um, you know, to, to avoid being furloughed and, and whatnot. Um, but, uh, I mean, yeah, I, you know, Hats off to you guys for for pulling everything off this year. Um, I know it's going to be quite the challenge, but it'll be worth it for sure. When when we, you know you can have a full capacity stadium, hopefully next year, um, right. with with fantastic promotions and all of that. Um, but on on this podcast, we are very pro dog. Um, Bo Bo, my dog Bo is a um, unofficial mascot of the Pulling Tart podcast. He is sleeping right now on the couch. Um, but so I saw on your Instagram um, that you have a golden retriever, Caroline, right? I, I do. I have a, a three-year-old golden retriever named Caroline. And so Bo, Bo is very spoiled. Um, he goes to doggy daycare um, you know, two or three times a week. So my question is, how spoiled is Caroline on a scale of one to ten? A scale of one to ten, it is a a ten for sure. She uh, she is very spoiled. She is very much so uh, a daddy's girl. She's actually laying on my feet right now, <laughs> wondering why I'm not paying her any attention. But uh, she's great. She uh, I got her in in 2017. Um, uh, around Christmas time, uh, so you know, as much moving as I've done in the past few years, she's she's been with me for for all those moves. So I know it's it hasn't been easy on her learning the new scents and uh, the new climates that that Daddy's drug her along. But she's <laughs> been been a good sport about it, and she she tries to make the best of of the different places we've gone. So she's she's been that one constant the the past three years of you know so much uncertainty and stuff. So. Um, I try to spoil her any chance I get. She hates the hours I work in baseball season, obviously. But I was going to ask you if if you take her to the stadium with you. Yeah, she. uh, So we have. She's been to every stadium I've I've worked in, so you know I take her when I can and let her play on the field and stuff. But she, she's a very high energy dog, so you know I, I can't necessarily. Uh, you know, babysit her while I'm also working, working. on deadlines that I have to that have to go with. But you know, if it's you know if I'm here for a, a Citadel game or something, I don't have much going on. I'll I'll bring her to the office and you know we'll hang out just so she's not sitting at the house all day. But sure, uh, we try to take full advantage of any off days I get from the stadium and go to the beach or go to the park and stuff. And make sure she's taken care of. So she, she's a good girl. Yeah, I saw she has her own Instagram. I saw that. Um, and, she does. She does. Yeah, and uh, she, you can plug it at the end if you want. Um, 
but she she also goes you know like kayaking and hiking and she she does it all it looks like yeah she she's definitely she has a more prominent social media presence than i do for sure (laughs) um i think that's just based on looks in general she's a she's a very cute pup so um yeah like i said you know I, i try to get her out we take advantage of our off days um you know when i live when i was in north carolina you know when i got furloughed from the mudcats i mean it was disappointing but at the same time i mean we were living smack dab in the middle of up North Carolina, so I mean, there's state parks and, right. and rivers and, and lakes and stuff. So, you know, we took some trips. We we used we spent about three or four days on the Outer Banks um, nice. after I got furloughed and just went out there. She loved the beach, so um, and it's you know relatively quiet out there, especially since you know it's technically during COVID times. So sure, not many people were traveling for good reason, but right. you know, with just me and her, you know. We, we stayed apart from, from everybody else while we could and enjoy the beach for a few days. So she, she tries to, to take me on adventures every now and then. Okay. I like it. I like it. Bo, Bo is not the adventure type. He's a, well, he's a Beagle Jack Russell mix. So okay. also very high energy, but he likes to snuggle too. Um, big snuggler. Um, my wife works night shifts a lot. Um, so he will... It's it's no stranger to him to sleep in the bed with her all day, so so um, yeah he's he's right. very spoiled. Um, like I said, goes to doggy daycare two or three times a week. Um, yeah, super spoiled for sure. Um, let's see. All right, so I always like to ask um, this to like operations um, guys. What's the worst excuse a game day staff member has ever used to call out of work? No, oh, there's been a lot over the years. You know, it's 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 hard to like pinpoint one. You know, honestly, I prefer excuses more than people just not showing up. For one, when people you know no call no shows, I, I'd rather not have any of those. But um, as long as people call, you know, ahead of time, they can make up some wild stories. And as long as, you know, it's not right when gates open, I'm, I'm usually kind of fine with it and can make arrangements. But, uh, you know, when I was in South Bend, we had uh, one game day employee that um, called in one time. And she didn't elaborate much on, on the excuse once she said it. And then she kind of just, like, hung up. But uh, her excuse for not coming in was that, she got hit by the door and then like that was there was no there's no elaboration of what that meant she she didn't really give me time to to um get more information on what happened or or, (laughs) what nature brought her to to being hit by a door but um that was one she she ended up you know she was working the the next day after that so i mean it, it wasn't anything too threatening so you know once she came back healthy and good to go we got a bit of a laugh about it but you know a couple hours before gates open and an employee says i got hit by the door and then hangs up with the phone it's it's a, a an interesting start to the night so so you didn't that, ask her any more about it she i mean at that point it's just like all right well she's here the next day so right i mean regardless if she actually did get hit by a door i mean at least she's She's not just quitting altogether, so okay. we, we kind of just let it go, and then it became a 
somewhat of a running joke. Um, but yeah, yeah that, that one sticks out. But again, I, I'd rather hear outlandish excuses every now and then than for someone to just not show up at all. Makes sense for sure. Um, and this, the ops guys always have good answers for the for this one too. Usually, uh, what's the craziest situation that's occurred? during a game that you've had to assist with? You know, that one's tough to answer because I feel like the more you work in baseball, I mean, the less you qualify as crazy <laughs> because what some people consider crazy, you consider, you know, a normal part of the day. Right. Um, That's true. <laughs> you know, having tarp pulls and flash flooding and that kind of thing is, is a normal thing, but I've had multiple people of – Varying ages, I might add, um, using the bathroom, not in the bathroom, uh, whether it be on the concourse or, or elsewhere throughout the stadium. Um, there was one time uh, we were uh, we were running kids on during a game, and for some reason, I don't know if if the zipper was undone or if, if the outlet kind of gave out on us, but we had a situation where I'm walking down the concourse, and I just see – and it's middle of the game – and I just see the bounce house start to, like, melt. And I'm just like, what is going on? Like, yeah, bounce house is falling down. There's, like, kids screaming, freaking out. So I'm taking off running down the concourse. And I'm having to, like, army crawl through, like, deflated plastic to, like, let kids, like, crawl out the door and stuff. Oh, gosh. Which, I mean, their parents never knew the difference because they just dropped them off in kids' zone and right. <laughs> went on about their, their baseball viewing experience, <laughs> which, I mean, it's... It's one of the things I don't necessarily appreciate about right. fans that bring their that. kids and, and we become babysitters. But mm-hmm. um, but yeah, it was a, a scary moment for me. But <laughs> I think there was probably five or six kids in there at the time, and oh, about gosh. five of them were laughing hysterically, thinking that it was funny. So um, I'm glad no kids like actually freaked out. You know, we got them we got them out of there in time. But I, you know, my heart was was racing when I just saw it, you know, yeah. fall down and start deflating. I didn't know what to do. Did the did the blower just like quit working, or did it come unhooked from the blower? You know that's been that's been like eight years now, so I can't even remember what the issue. I don't know if it was a zipper that wasn't tied and, and the Velcro came off, okay. or, or like you said, if the if the blower just wasn't secured properly. But I saw it and I was just like, oh my gosh, like wow, this, this could be bad. But seeing seeing laughing kids crawl out of the inflatable was was a good thing so yeah wow okay so what was it like winning i a ring in 2019 with the south bend cubs i worked in baseball for eight years and came darn close to getting a ring twice but never got one so you got it you got to you got to help me out and just explain to me what it's like winning a ring you know, it, it was an exciting time. Uh, you know, it, it wasn't something that I had expected because, you know, prior to 2019, the teams that I had been with didn't really experience much success at all. I think a couple couple times I was with, you know, last place teams and, you know, not really paying attention really to, to the standings or anything right. like that. But, the, uh, I, think, I feel like, you know, generally in the first half, the, the hype was relatively – you know, low. I mean, we we had one of the better records in the league. We're you know we never dropped below 
you know, middle of the pack. And then just as we continued through second half, you know, I, one of my buddies was, was our, our broadcaster. And, you know, he was like, dude, we can actually do this. And I was like, you think so? He's like, yeah, man, like we can actually do this. So then, you know, the buzz started generating and, and, you know, we, we ended up sweeping through the playoffs. So we went, we went seven and zero through the playoffs, didn't lose a game. I think, uh, we uh, we hosted the the semifinal round at, at our place, and then they were going on the road for the championship series. And our after we won the games the series at home, the president went around to everybody and started getting ring sizes. And for me personally, I am big on superstitions. Like I never like to jinx anything. <laughs> so when he goes around starting to, to size up rings in my head, I'm like, all right, well, we just lost. Like we haven't started the series yet, but because he's, he's getting ring sizes, we just lost. But I guess, I guess old Joe Hart knew something that I didn't. And, and we ended up again, sweeping the, sweeping the championship series. So, um, it was a, it was a very exciting time. You know, I, I knew at the time that I wasn't going to be in South Bend again the following season. Um, I knew I was moving on. Um, and, what you know added to it was we hosted the all-star game um at our stadium that year too. oh okay so yeah being able to to have that moment of like success you know normally you know our success isn't really dependent upon what happens on the field but you know having a successful all-star uh, game that took so much effort and extra time and extra planning that you know we don't normally have in a, in a normal season and you know, seeing that work successfully and then seeing the team, you know, be successful on the field too and having, you know, the culmination of, of the whole season and in, in the form of, you know, one of the nicest championship rings that, you know, you'll see at the minor league level. It, you know, it envies some some of the uh, the World Series rings I've seen for professional teams. And yeah, um, that that's coming from, you know, the owner of the, the Cubs, Andrew Berlin. He likes to, to make sure that, you know, his players are, are taken care of on the field. His staff is taken care of in the front office. And when we, you know, won the championship, he wanted to make sure that it was one that not only we didn't forget, but other people in the league didn't forget either by, right. by how awesome those rings were. So I, I was very excited that, you know, he was able to, to get them for the rest of our staff. And, you know, that's something I'll, I'll look back on. And, you know, I have somewhat of a, of a symbol of, you know, the two years that, that I put into South Bend. Okay. Very cool. I I wish I would have done it. Yeah, I mean, um, my first year with Beloit, um, they they won the first half of the season, um, and then I believe made it to second round of the playoffs and got beat. And then um, my last year with Delmarva, they just killed the whole league that year. Just like. Just were murdering teams. Just like it was just like expected that we were gonna win like almost every single game, and we we got we made we had ninety wins that season. We had like ninety one or ninety two wins, and um, and then first game in the playoffs. Uh, so I think yeah, we lost the first game in the playoffs one nothing. We had a we had a guy throw. I th- I want to say he threw seven innings and only allowed one hit i will and um but and i think i think i can't remember honestly but 
Um, yeah, and then and then we lost the the game on the road as well. So that was that was it. That's the closest I've I've ever come to winning a ring. But um, yeah, I'm definitely fortunate to have gotten one this early in my career because I know a lot of people that have been in for a long time and, and don't get one. And you know, I hope that there comes a day where I get to have another one. But you know, having having this one and being with that team in that year after the All Star game and having the the owner want to want to put a lot of effort and time into designing a ring that'll that'll last last a while is is an exciting thing right um so you talked about working for the Nashville Predators in between your stints in baseball so excuse me what was it like or what was the biggest difference between working in hockey and working in baseball uh, well, the biggest difference is attendance, for sure. Okay. Um, uh, I think uh, I think the capacity at Bridgestone is uh, somewhere between fifteen and, and twenty thousand, something like that. So um, I've never seen that many people at a minor league baseball game. So so that's one thing. But you know, also you know, when I was in college, I mean, that's that's when I really started you know getting into hockey and getting into the Preds themselves. A lot of my friends in college were we're hockey and, and Preds fans and, you know, Nashville is kind of the, the big city in the South. So okay. you know, everybody's kind of taken their road trip and, and been to Preds games before. And, uh, again, you know, I, I was fortunate that they offered the job. I, I had, uh, I had done an internship, uh, with the, the saints, uh, and the Pelicans in new Orleans when I was in, in college and, uh, in public safety. So, um, the Predators had a, had an opening in their public safety department. So, um, the timing, you know, the end of the, the 2019 baseball season and the beginning of the, the 2019 hockey season kind of kind of worked out. And um, so I was able to move down and take on that role. And uh, being on the public safety side is, is a little different. You know, we're in minor league baseball. It's all about making sure the, the fans are having fun and, and the excitement is, is, is buzzing. But when you're on the public safety side of things, you, you have to be somewhat of the, uh, the ceiling to the excitement. You okay. have to make sure people don't uh, – um, in other words, overindulge in their excitement sometimes. So um, we have to be kind of the uh, the serious ones, and you know, the serious department, making sure that you know people are having fun out, you know, in the seating bowl. But while they're there, you know, their safety and security is being thought of, uh, you know, to enable them to, to have those experiences. So, um, but but it was fun, you know. I, like I said, you know, I've been a Preds fan for a little bit, and and working with them, and it's a great organization to be a part of, first off, and then. You know, Nashville's a, a big sports town. Um, you know, they got the Titans right down the road from Bridgestone, and then, you know, on the other side of town, they have, the, you know, uh, their own minor league baseball team. Um, you know, initially that, that was the goal was to, to work for the Sounds down there. Um, but, you know, with, with the timing wasn't right and for open opportunities, and, and luckily the, the Preds had an opening for me. So um, I appreciated them giving me the opportunity. And, um, you know, it, it wasn't anything – to do with them why I didn't say I, I just realized you know I, I wanted to get back in baseball and uh when the Mudcats offered that opportunity I had to had to jump on it so um no ill will or anything to Nashville I, I'm hoping they'll they'll invite me back to a game next time I'm in town and, <laughs> yeah um, so it's good I, I think uh it was a, a little easy to uh to leave my boss at 
uh, for the Preds. He was a uh, he's a Milwaukee Brewers fan, so the fact that I was going to the Mudcats oh, kind of yes. made him a little a little easier to let me go. So they they were nothing but supportive. They they know that I was a baseball guy coming in. They knew that you know I was I was going to try and get back into baseball. So um, nothing but love for the guys in, in Nashville. Is Nashville a hockey city? And the reason I ask you this is because I. So one of the players for the Predators said, you know, he was asked, like, you know, is Nashville a hockey city? And he said, I love, I love the fans in Nashville. He said, he said they're such great fans that when the third period is over, they they're still sitting there because they think there's going to be a fourth quarter. <laughs> That's funny. You know, had you asked me, you know, eight eight years ago, I'd probably say not quite a hockey town. But I, I was fortunate in that um, while I was in college, and, and maybe you know, right after college, uh, the Preds went on their uh, Stanley Cup run. Um, so I, while I didn't get in the arena for for some of the games, me and some friends were able to to go to some of the watch parties outside of the arena. And had you walked down the road. During the that Stanley Cup run, you would say a hundred percent Nashville is, okay. is a hockey town. Um, okay, you know there for blocks there were there were big screens and and food trucks and and beer vendors. You know all through downtown Nashville. You know getting excited about that. And you know they didn't come away with the cup, but you know for the next. I mean I think since then they've sold out all of their their season tickets. Uh, every year since then so okay. that's something that I don't think they had done much before that but um, a Stanley Cup run and success always helps but yeah there, there's no environment like like inside of Bridgestone for a hockey game it's it's you know when I was when I was working and on the clock I couldn't necessarily enjoy it but I, I've been to my fair share of, of Nashville games and you know it's even even people that you know don't necessarily have a, a background in hockey which I mean like I said I, I didn't really get into it until until college but being in that arena feeling the energy feeling the crowd and and you know you get to learn the game more when you're there but yeah I, I, I'd say Nashville is definitely a, a hockey town it it, it definitely uh, I think it took a while just because you know having an NFL football team right down the street kind of right. makes people lean that direction but um, there, there's a lot of hype the Preds do a lot within the community there um, not only for you know expanding the game of hockey but also um, working within the community um, right before I, I left Nashville to go to um, to go to North Carolina with the Mudcats uh, was when the uh, the tornado swept through uh, Middle Tennessee oh and, yeah um, you know it, it was unfortunate that that was the the timing I left you know because I know that the Preds you know did their part in the community to provide for you know not only the families that were affected but also the the first responders so I, I think they do a good job of you know trying to not only you know create a a support within the community just to come out to their games, but you know when the community needs them, they they really step up. So the the Preds was was an awesome organization to work for. Awesome. Uh, real quickly, I'll tell you my um, experience. I never worked in hockey, but my hometown of Williamsport, Pennsylvania, got a professional hockey team. Like it was like a semi-pro league or whatever and um so i had just got done working i was an intern for the williamsport crosscutters um at this time 
and I was getting ready to leave to move to Beloit, Wisconsin to take on a full-time role there. And the mayor of Williamsport announced that we're getting a hockey team. And I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. And then I thought to myself, well, where are they going to play? Because we don't have an ice rink. Um, like, literally, like, anywhere close. And so, you know, the weeks went by, and it came out that they were going to play on the baseball diamond um, that the Williamsport Crosscutters play on at their stadium. And I was thinking to myself, well, the Winter Classic is pretty cool, but for every game... And so I was actually working for the ESPN radio affiliate there in town, and I was, like, doing, like, board op- operating and stuff like that. And, you know, you, I would go in to, like, you know, work a game or whatever, and they'd be like, oh, it got, it got sleeted out tonight. And I was like, what? And so, yeah, like, it would, you know, it would snow, and the snow would be too wet, and then they couldn't play the game. And so the team was actually really good. I think they had one guy on the team that had some NF or some NHL experience. And so like they were just like, you know, destroying teams, but after the All-Star break the team folded. <laughs> and and so all the players on the team went to other teams in the league. Um, right. and then, you know, that was, that was the end of hockey in Williamsport. So it lasted a half of a season. Shorter they live, but I'm sure you enjoyed it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the first game I went to, it was about 75 degrees, um, outside. <laughs> so that was something that was interesting for sure. But, right. um, well, yeah, while I was working for the Preds, they, they played in the, the winter classic in Dallas. Oh, so. I can't. I imagine it was somewhat similar. I, I don't remember what the the temperature was in Dallas that day, but seeing ice in the middle of a, a football stadium in Texas was something I never would have thought I would see. It, you know, I think it it ran well, relatively better than expected, um, but you could kind of tell the the temperature was somewhat getting into the ice. It looked like players were slipping and sliding a little bit more than usual, but. Okay. Definitely a cool experience. Yeah, for sure. So this is the Pulling Tart Podcast, and I gotta ask... Do you have any wild tarp stories? I think everybody kind of has their own version of a wild tarp story. All right. Um, yeah, I've, I've pulled tight tarp uh, probably more than the average bear. Uh, my first uh, my first internship in, in baseball was with the my hometown, Mobile Bay Bears. Oh, yeah. Uh, I don't know what you know about Mobile, but it's one of the wettest cities in the country. Okay. Um, they, they pull the tarp very often, I think. You know, at one point they were they were replacing the tarp every year just because of all the pools and, and the threads were wow. unwaving. So I've pulled tarp quite a bit, but I think my my wildest tarp story actually came from uh, Helena, Montana. Ooh. We uh, we didn't have too many rainouts while I was in Helena, but 
uh, one day, you know, we knew a storm was, was just over the mountains coming our way and we were trying to squeeze in, you know, however many innings we could. And then once the storm got there, it wasn't just rain. It was, it was also hail. Um, so, so we're pulling tarp essentially in the middle of a hailstorm. Um, the team there in Helena is a, or was a, a rookie ball team. So Mm -hmm. the, the main difference between a rookie ball team and, and, you know, a, a higher affiliated team is that, you know, we only have a staff of about 10 people total. So mm-hmm. when you only have 10 people pulling a tarp, it, it goes a little slower. Sure. Um, so it, it's already a, a slow process pulling a tarp with so few people. Plus you're getting smacked in the face with, with marble sized hail and oh. the wind was whipping and it was just, I, I, I don't even think we ended up getting the tarp all the way across. I think the groundskeeper was just like, you know what? The, the plate's already ruined, so we just got to call it. And I think uh, we, we cleared the stadium. Uh, they, they called the game. We cleared the stadium. And then the front office and I are just, you know, sitting in the office waiting for the for the, uh, the storm to pass. And we ended up, you know, we finished pulling the tarp out just so it wasn't, you know, hanging off the plate all, right. all night. But, you know, once we got out there, we were like, all right, well, there's no more hail, so let's just let's slip and slide. So that was my uh, – my first tarp slide experience so it was it was a bad tarp experience by you know pulling in a hell storm but then you know once everything kind of cleared we we turned it into a fun day at the ballpark and it's always good to get the uh the groundskeeper's blessing before you do any tarp slide so he was he was all on board and and we ended up having a good time with it yeah i don't think i've worked for any um groundskeepers that would give me the okay to do that tarp slide but (laughs) rookie ball is a different animal so Beloit, so you said you know about the small front office and stuff like that. Beloit, it sounds like was was like rookie ball. Um, my so Timmy and I worked there together. Um, I w- I was there two years before him though, um, and so our last year we both left after the 2015 season. And, um, but we had a front office staff of about three. And so we, we pulled tarp with four people. I know that much. Um, it was, it was terrible, but, but we did it. Um, so yeah, it sounds like Beloit was just like rookie ball. That sounds awful. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I know you're kind of a private guy, Brandon, uh, but where can the listeners find you or Caroline, for that matter, on social media? Uh, yeah, I'm not too active on social media if it doesn't involve pictures of Caroline. But uh, <laughs> if fans are interested, they can find me at uh, O underscore B Dunn, uh, O H underscore B Dunn. Um, and more importantly, if they want to see pictures of Caroline updated every now and then. Uh, she is at the sweetest underscore Caroline on Instagram, so be sure and check her out. I think you'll get more quality picks from from her page than mine, so, <laughs> so take that into account. But um, right. while we're listening off Instagram, if, if you guys want to follow Charleston River Dogs and, and what they do, and you know some of the the changes that we're implementing this season, and you know kind of the updates uh, moving forward, you can find uh, the River Dogs at, at Chass River Dogs um, on most of their social media platform so be sure and give them a follow perfect and so i end 
every episode with the same question. What has been your favorite walk-up or warm-up song in your minor league baseball career, and whose was it? So, I think I'm going to go a little bit of a different direction than than I've heard some of the people go. The fact that I haven't been with the same team. uh, I've only been with one team for multiple years, so I haven't really been able to to follow, you know, a specific player for, for more than one year and um, haven't really, you know, paid too much attention to the, the walk-up songs. But in my three years in the Cubs organization, we had um, a few games where uh, Ben Zobers came down for, for rehab assignments. Um, and, you know, everybody knows his Benny and the Jets. You know, uh, Elton John coming in, I think he's, he's changed up, uh, you know, different – uh, variations of the same song, but okay. uh, he he came down while I was working with the Smokies in Tennessee, and and uh, he was he was uh, with us for a couple of days in, in South Bend too. So that that's been the one constant song that I, that I've heard over the years. So um, that's a good one. I, me personally, I'm more of a of a classic rock kind of guy, little ninety hip pop. But I, I also enjoy hearing some of the uh, the Spanish and and Latin songs that oh, yeah. come across from, from those players. And, you know, I, I don't know. I'm not familiar enough with with Spanish to know what they're singing about all the time. But you know, kind of the the upbeat rhythm and you know some of the different sounds that we're not necessarily accustomed to in our music. It's it's, it's cool to see you know their influence from from you know their home countries and you know it, it really is a testament to the you know inter, international um, reach that that baseball has. So For sure, it, it, it's interesting hearing those songs come across the PA every now and then. Okay, awesome. Well, thank you so much, uh, Brandon, for taking the time out of your your Easter Sunday to chat with me, Um, and I really appreciate it, and uh, best of luck this upcoming season with your your first season with Charleston, and, uh, you know, we'll we'll chat soon, and uh, stay in touch, okay? Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. Listen to the Pulling Tarp Podcast, distributed by Stoveleg Media. Make sure you check out our page at stoveleg.com to learn more about Bobby and the rest of the show. Stoveleg Media, igniting conversation.